Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, April 24th, 2020. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I am flying solo today as Matt takes care of football draft things for one of his many side jobs. But he is here more than just in spirit. It is a shorter news day today, so the back half of this episode is his latest interview in which he sat down with the great Bobby Conti Thornton, currently-ish, starring in the revival of Company and more currently dropping a new album, which is out today from Broadway Records. They talk about both those things, as well as what he's been doing in quarantine, and also about his former Bronx Tale star, Nick Cordero. So be sure to stay tuned and listen for all of that. Before we head into the news, if you are willing and able, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio and back us if you can. Your support means the world to us in these trying, trying times. All right, let's get into the news. The top story of yesterday came from Sonia Friedman Productions in London, who announced that Jez Butterworth's Jerusalem will return next year, and returning to star will be the play's original lead, Mark Rylance, in the role of Johnny Rooster Byron. The newish production will be directed by Ian Rickson, and while no further details have been revealed at this time, its most general timeline is quote-unquote next year. Jerusalem first opened at the Jerwood Theatre of the Royal Court Theatre in London in 2009, which garnered Rylance and Olivier Award, and then later played Broadway's Music Box Theatre in 2011, which earned him the Tony for Best Performance by a leading actor in a play. This is one of those can't-miss performances that I unfortunately missed the first time. My backstage colleague Casey Mink tweeted that what was on my mind when this news came out which is that we usually ask actors what is the one performance or one performance every other actor should see. And one of the most regular answers we've heard is Mark Rylance in Jerusalem. So we really don't know what's going to happen with this, the ifs and whens with everything else going on in the world. But I am going to stay optimistic that this does actually happen, if for purely selfish reasons. More things to look forward to, that huge Sondheim birthday concert that will be happening in a couple days. As already announced, the cast of the virtual concert, which will be hosted by Raul Esparza and already featured a star-studded cast of Patti Lapone, Bernadette Peters, Meryl Streep, Mandy Patinkin, Donna Murphy, and so many others, has expanded its lineup. Joining the celebration will be Annalie Ashford, Laura Benanti, Melissa Erica, Beanie Feldstein, Josh Groban, Jake Gyllenhaal, Neil Patrick Harris, Judy Kuhn, Linda Lavin, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Ben Platt, Randy Rainbow, and Leia Salonga, who will all perform songs from Sondheim's catalog. So, so good. Additionally, the event will also feature special appearances by Victor Garber, Joanna Gleason, Nathan Lane, and Steven Spielberg. Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, will be presented online this Sunday, April 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I hadn't realized it is set to take place on the exact 50th anniversary of the opening night of the original company, which couldn't possibly be more emotional over this entire event if I tried. Coming up in streaming programming, London's National Theatre announced they will present free week-long streams of Danny Boyle's 2011 production of Frankenstein, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller. Both versions, actually, will be streaming as Cumberbatch and Miller alternated the roles of Victor Frankenstein and his creation. Those will be aired on April 30th and May 1st at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. 
and then will be available to the public on YouTube for a full week for free. Following that, Antony and Cleopatra, starring Ray Fiennes and Sophie Okonedo, will also be streamed by the National Theater beginning on May 7th. Continuing on the virtual side, Steppenwolf Theater Company announced it will it will be replacing its 2020 gala with a special online event called Pants Optional Steppenwolf Soiree. Love it. Steppenwolf ensemble member Audrey Francis will MC the streaming event on May 9th at 6.30 p.m. Central Time on YouTube and Facebook Live with special appearances by ensemble members Joan Allen, John Malkovich, Lori Metcalf, and more, along with additional celebrity guests who will be announced on Steppenwolf's social media channels and website. The stream is free of charge and open to all and will help to raise funds for the company and theater as a whole. TEDx Broadway organizers also announced on Thursday a new series of online conversations with a central theme in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on the Broadway community. Each week at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the hour-long series will feature guests who will deliver conversations live online and take questions from the audience. Speakers scheduled thus far include Oshaki Pamela Abalu, Benjamin Scheuer, Alton Fitzgerald White, friend of the show, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, Mark Fisher, and more. You can register for free at www.tedxbroadway.com virtual. Also in the news, to commemorate the 18th anniversary of its North American tour, Disney's The Lion King will offer a day of free live virtual content on the Disney on Broadway Instagram page, which is at Disney on Broadway, on April 27th. So far, the content will include a Disney teaching artist leading a musical theater workshop and Michael James Scott in an interview with Ben Lippitz, Stefan Monson, and Kendra Moore with more events to be announced. The Guggenheim's Works and Process series has awarded a number of virtual commissions to artists of various disciplines. Among the recipients are a strange loop writer, Michael R. Jackson, Broadway choreographer Joshua Burgos, and New York City ballet dancer Sarah Mearns, costume designer Machine Dazzle, opera star Anthony Ross Costanzo, and composers Missy Mazzalo and Nico Muli, among many others. These commissioned works are less than five minutes long and will premiere on the Works and Processes Facebook platform, on Instagram, and its YouTube channel every Sunday and Monday at 7.30 p.m. I think Michael R. Jackson's is next on May 3rd, but you'll have to double check that. And finally, heading out of the interwebs and coming from across the pond on Thursday night, the Daily Mail's Baz Bimmick Boy brought the news that the jukebox musical The Band, based on the music of the UK's most successful boy band, Take That, is now being adapted into a future film. The project is reportedly in pre-production under the new title Greatest Days, with Koki Gidroich directing. Casting is now in progress as they seek to fill some high-caliber names to fill the roles of the band. The film is scheduled to start shooting in the fall, of course, very tentative, and Gary Barlow and Take That will act as advisors on the project, currently in talks to write at least one new song for the film. A couple of quick recommendations for your weekend. First up over at Vulture, the great Helen Shaw talked with the team behind the recent online revival, I guess you can call it, of Buyer and Seller through Broadway.com, which starred Michael Urie from his living room. One of, I guess, our first full attempts at a full play on a large scale setting like this during quarantine. 
They talked about the lessons they learned, such as the technology needed, including AirPods, you may have noticed, and still doing it live, even though it's being presented on a screen. And most importantly, the universal lesson, keep it simple. So be sure to check check that out. And finally, one of my and the world's absolute favorites, Nathan Lane, popped by the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, or A Late Show as it's now being called, on Wednesday night, pulled a Patty Lapone <laughs> by showing off all of his stuff for the camera in his quote-unquote panic room. It involves him going through some of his showbiz memorabilia, including a signed picture of Walter Matthau, which has a great story behind it, and a monogrammed pair of Eugene O'Neill's boxer shorts, which Colbert later followed up with a joke about Samuel Beckett's fishnets. Man, <laughs> seeing Nathan Lane crack up is an instant balm for me, so be sure to head on over and check that out if you need a big smile as well. All right, that's all we have for today and for this week. So thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Stay tuned through the rest of the episode to listen to Matt's interview with Bobby Conti Thornton, where they talk about his new album, Quarantining in the Middle of Nowhere in Montana Company, and of course, Nick Cordero. If you are willing, able, and so inclined, you can head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio to support us. And you can find me over at Twitter and Instagram at no, this is Ashley. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, take care of yourself and one another, support your local food bank, and wash your hands. Hey, Bobby, this is Matt from Broadway Radio. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Matt? Good, good. How's, uh, are you in New York? Are you back in California? No, I uh, I escaped actually to uh, middle of nowhere, Montana with oh. my sister. So we, we are away from it all. Wow. In the middle, literally in the middle of nowhere then. Yes, there's there's snow on the ground that we are staring at the current moment, and we'll go days without um, seeing people. <laughs> so it, it it seems to be a pretty healthy place to quarantine. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're going to try to escape people as much as humanly possible, leaving New York for somewhere where you don't see people for days on end is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. How are you, are you? How are you? Are you in New York? I, I'm not. I'm in Florida. So. Uh... Everybody, everybody here is insane. So um, we just try oh, to. Oh, Florida is where they've just reopened the beaches, right? Yeah, open the beaches. Fortunately, it's not Georgia where they're opening everything over the next week, which is insane, and that's a whole other topic, I guess. But um, but I'm glad that you are quarantining uh, safely and and with a loved one. So that's great. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I want to start kind of on that topic. the The entire theater community is rallying around and praying for your a Bronx Tale co star Nick Cordero and his wife Amanda and their their son Elvis. But I wondered for those of us who only know him for like the tough guys that he often plays, if there's something that you can tell us about who he is as a person, you know, off stage in real life, and why he means so much to the people in this community, and why everyone is really running to support him and his family. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's, this is the community that is rallying around him speaks to the kind of man he is and the impression he makes on anyone, even if you meet him for, in a one time occurrence for a minute. Um, he sort of exudes unconditional love and genuine kindness to anyone he comes across. And I guess that's at a base level of what you're saying. It takes some people by surprise because of the personas he plays on yeah. stage. But um, Bronx Tale was my really first big thing, and it was my throws into commercial theater, and it was a, a, a terrifying experience at many, many moments. And he was one of the best 
partners in crime to not only for me to be able to lean on, for me to be able to ask advice, for to go out for drinks afterwards and, and vent about all the insanity, um, to be able to put things in perspective for him to invite me into his home. You know, his, his wife, Amanda, is uh, right now is a, is a warrior woman, and, and I cannot Absolutely. believe the strength she's exuding on a daily basis, and their son, Elvis, is the most adorable thing. Um, and his community of friends and his extended family, um, even his immediate family from Canada, it's it's an it's an incredible group of genuine, kind-hearted people. That you know, I, I can go on with with story after story with with hilarious anecdotes. But I think at the moment, it's just about what a genuine human being and good soul he is, and um, he he needs to be back because he's the best of us. Yeah, I I don't want to spend too much time focusing on the scary and the tragic sides of this, but I think the one thing that so many people have seen, and it goes far beyond even the theater community at this point, because so many people have heard uh, his story now, and every single person just gets um, you know more and more effusive about what a wonderful human being he is, and so we are all yeah. certainly pulling for him and sending as much love, prayer, support towards uh, him and Amanda and Elvis as we can, so I appreciate you Absolutely. sharing a little bit about that. I, I appreciate you getting the word out that we can um, play uh, his song, Live Your Life Every Day, and get it to number one on the chart. <laughs> that would be all. Gosh, well, that would be amazing. So that and we will all go ahead and throw the uh, the GoFundMe link uh, in the notes for this, uh, this episode as well. So um, but That's a great idea. Speaking of getting things to number one and getting uh, albums out there, uh, we are talking mainly because you just released uh, your album along the way. And I know this is something that you've been working on in one form or another for like five years, six years. Is it now ever since you basically were fresh out of college? Yeah, that's right. I was, I was very, I'm from the Bay area, San Francisco proper. And I was very lucky that um, this, this nonprofit company called, Bay Area Cabaret, which basically brings cabaret artists to the Venetian Room in the Fairmont, San Francisco, which is this iconic space where, amongst other things, Tony Bennett debuted I Left My Heart in San Francisco. It, you know, and it had been shut down for decades and decades and decades. And this great woman, Marilyn Levinson, sort of revitalized the space now almost 10 years ago. And uh, she had, <laughs> I had done this very ridiculous um, competition when I was in high school called Bay Area Teen Idol, where we all <laughs> sang one song. They were totally about sang one song, and the winner got to open for one of the stars that they brought in that season. And I was very lucky that I won my senior year of high school, and I got to open the next year for Laura Benanti of all people. Oh, great! And I did about a half hour set there, and she was very kind and said, uh, "When you graduate from college, we'd love to give you your break and your your whole hour to yourself." So I started developing um, this cabaret show uh, my senior year of college, right when I and so right when I graduated, which was the spring of 2015. And there are two songs from that show that now remain in the album, which is Blame It On My Youth and Along The Way. And then it just goes through different iterations of that now perform the show in New York and for the country with it all when I've had, you know, sort of hiatuses and breaks from being lucky and being able to perform around the country in regional theaters and perform on Broadway and perform in television and film. It's always been a thing that's been a fantastic creative outlet for me. And now after five years, we feel really solid about the set list story. We're able to chart through these series of lyrics and we wanted to, I really just can't believe it's a reality at this moment. 
So what goes into, if you said the, the Blame It On My Youth and Along The Way, which are the first two songs, Blame It On My Youth is uh, matched up with uh, Nature Boy, everything else after that has changed. What goes into the past five years that leads you to drop songs, add new songs? Where does that thinking come from? Is it a different place in your life or just trying new stuff? How do you settle on what the set list is now for the album? It's a mix of all those things. It's saying, oh, this song isn't resonating with me at the current moment. It's saying this song isn't resonating with an audience. I thought it would be the song that's working this placement in the show. And, and, you know, on a bass level, I would always joke, but I think it's real that if I'm ever sick of singing a song, we just throw it out and I try something different. It's, <laughs> it's my own show. I, I have no other person to answer to except my own. And I've had uh, phenomenal collaborators over these five years that have always um, been great mirrors to say, yeah, this works, this doesn't, this seems authentic, this seems a little contrived. And so it's amazing to see where we've come out on the other side. And what's interesting about this album is that it really runs the gamut in terms of where the sources are for these uh, for these songs. Everything from, I mentioned Nature Boy, so you've got David Bowie, you have Billy Joel, but then you've got um, you know, stuff from Anything Can Whistle and, and Mac and Mabel, and you've got some Beatles in there and She Loves Me. So, I mean, it really is a little bit of everything. I mean, I would imagine that that speaks to not only your musical tastes, but maybe uh, mm. how you see yourself as an artist, uh, kind of blending in both of those worlds. I, I mean, sure. Yes. Uh, I, James Stamplaner, who's my, my genius uh, collaborator and uh, arranger on this album, uh, I think was able to to create a, a, a really eclectic musical palette for us to work with. So I guess it does show me off in a way that, that I can be um, variable with different musical styling. But the reason we chose all these songs at the end of the day is, is because of the lyrics and because of the stories they're telling. I think the thing that's constant between all of them is their the, the the lyricism between all of them are just masterful. Even if that's Paul McCartney, I think here, there, and everywhere are some of the most phenomenal lyrics you will hear across any genre of music. And then, of course, Stephen Sondheim with Everyone Can Whistle, you know, that's the greatest ly- living lyricist we have. So I think that it's it's no matter where I could pull from in the musical world, we just wanted songs that could tell stories and and chart the journey of this of this fictitious but not so fictitious young man going through his life. <laughs> is the, is there one that one song on the album that resonates especially with this not so fictitious version of uh, <laughs> of a young man right now? There's I mean there's all there's truth to all of them. Sure. There's truth to all of them. Um, the, the one uh, that I've been listening to of late that we feel is a little too relevant at the moment is is that's life. Um, yeah. Is the the notion of feeling squandered and trapped in quarantine at the moment and being able to or having by necessity to release it all and say it's not in our control. That's why um, uh, I'm going to change that soon when I'm back on top, back on top in June. But man, if there's nothing shaking coming this year, July. I'm going to feel like rolling up at a big ball and die if we have to stay inside and can't see each other and can't perform for for one second longer. Um, So that's been a a level of sort of absurd hilarity, but also some real devastation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned the greatest living lyricist that we have right now is Stephen Sondheim. And whenever it is that we are able to get back to having people perform, you will be going back, uh, hopefully knocking on wood, uh, into the Broadway revival of Company. You guys had your rehearsals, had a few weeks of performances, and then everything shut down. What was the, what, what were the emotions of that having this, which 
I mean, it, it, it's just absurd, the the a talent that is in this cast. What was the yeah. lead up to that? Obviously, the disappointment of it shutting down for however long it is. But like, what was that period of rehearsals in the first few weeks of performances like for somebody, like you said, not that far out of college? It was um, I, I was pinching myself every day. I couldn't believe the people I got to be in a room with. And many of them I had I'd luckily gotten to know either just doing readings of shows or, or knowing them sort of socially in the business. And um, to see the combination. And what, what's great about company as a whole is that we're all in service of Bobby. We're all in service of the extraordinary Katrina Link. We all have within that service these moments to pop out and, and sort of show what we can do. And uh, in the way that we were all led under the incredible direction of Marianne Elliott was she implored us to bring ourselves to the material that whatever makes us special is going to make these characters um, resonate with an audience and be truly individualistic. So you're watching not only incredible artists, but incredible people sort of um, showing what they can do to the best of their abilities on stage every night. And so when we started piecing the show together and, and doing slight run-throughs, you, you would just leave a rehearsal day in awe of the, of the good humor and, and, and generosity of spirit and kindness of this cast. And, you know, right, like you said, it was devastating when we had to end because we were nine previews in and we were just about to freeze the show. Um, we had all sort of figured out, we were starting to learn where the laughs were, how to ride the audience in, in different waves based off what every scene needed, how we were energizing Katrina and, and giving her um, support so that she could go from one scene to the next with more energy than she had before. And it's just, uh, <laughs> it's just crazy that we had to stop in the middle of it. And that uh, whenever we do come back and, phenomenal producers that have assured us that we will be coming back it's just a That's matter of, of trying to I, I, we can't go back to that place that we were naturally things are going to be changing with yeah. with this much time away but we're gonna i know that we'll find it together because um we're in the hands of really extraordinary creative people i i wonder something and this is kind of a little bit off path so if it's uh, a little too weird of a question uh you're welcome to to pass but you talk about the fact that this cast <laughs> is uh, such good humor and such great people. We obviously talked about Nick and you said he's, he's the best of us. Uh, I wonder if as you've been going through this first half decade of your professional career and learning so much from being around such great artists, is there a correlation between being a genuine good human and being a quality performer? We've all hear these crazy stories about, you know, divas and all this stuff. But the more and more I talk to theater people, the more and more I hear that really the best of them are the best people too. Yeah. I think we're now in a place simply because there's so many people coming to New York and wanting to do this just because it's, um, it's been the, the idea of having a life in the theater has been made so mainstream because we have these infinite musical theater BFA programs. I think, you know, when I was in high school, Glee was a big thing that, that gave a, a new generation of young people the idea that you could make a living in this art form. So there's so many people to New York that are infinitely talented where you realize sooner or later, if you have the gumption to, to come to New York and try to do this thing, the talent is a given. The only thing that's really going to set you apart is your work ethic and your um, behavior, all of which are in your control. And so you start to realize if you're lucky to to be surrounded by a, a, a group of, of ingenious, creative people like this, 
you realize um, that that's the thing that's in common. Patty Lapone is an incre- has a phenomenal work ethic, but is a extremely generous soul. Uh, there's there's nothing um, that's that's diva quote unquote about her in that semblance because we are all her compatriots. We are all her fellow actors that w- that she wants to be in service of just as much as we want to be in service of her. Um, and so th- I think that's the thing I've really learned within these five years is um, if you want if you want to make it and you want to have a certain life that you've dreamed of, then be the most prepared person that walks into the room and constantly be kind because it's something that is um, tangibly within your control and something you can work at on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's so important, not just now when we're all dealing with added stresses and frustrations and fears, but just in general, I hope that when we come out on the other side of this, that people remember the empathy and and everything that we need to have to survive and and just like you said it's all in your control so uh, hopefully which is, that's a which lesson. is what it means to, which is what it means to be an actor to be an actor is to practice empathy is to have uh to be able to step into someone else's shoes and not judge them so you can apply that mindset to your everyday life and and if you and if yeah. you're not i don't think that by definition that's then going to make you a very good actor <laughs> yeah absolutely i i love the way uh you said that i it really makes a whole lot of sense for those of us who are not performers so um now you mentioned uh, we are talking on april 21st which is patty lapone's birthday so i saw the yes, video that yes, a bunch yes, of yes. you guys did um which and is and also and also claiborne and also claiborne elders is it really in our cast so we, yeah we had a double today very nice very nice well i know that Throughout this quarantine process, um, you all have been getting together a little bit and having some rehearsals on Zoom. I would imagine just having like a two or three person Zoom to me is too frantic and I can't follow it. Uh, how has <laughs> dealing with the technology uh, of a Zoom rehearsal been uh, for a cast that is as not only is it you know a fairly sizable ensemble cast, but there's a lot of really big personalities and voices in that cast as well yes there's just so much humor in our cast everyone's just trying to get butt in with a joke um more times than (laughs) not i try to shut my mouth and open my ear and sit back and enjoy the show uh but it's it's amazing i mean the best is is you know speaking of patty for her birthday uh, we, I think also, so many of us have seen her basement in these Twitter videos she's posted. Oh my God, every zoo, every every Zoom, Zoom rehearsal we have ends with her bringing the computer down to her basement, and we all get up and dance to a jukebox song. Um, <laughs> so no matter no matter how, if you know, because a lot of times it's natural. I think it happens. I imagine it happens in your Zoom calls as well. You start going down the wormhole of seeing how everyone's doing and, and how everyone's feeling during this quarantine time. But naturally, um, some, some maybe, maybe not depression, but some real despair is, is, is coming out of these people just because we're not doing what we love every day. We're not able to see family and friends on a daily basis. We're all having to learn how to maneuver through these uncharted waters together. And so the fact that she brings us to a level of exuberance and joy and ridiculousness every time we sign off is a, is a testament to her leadership and um, her kindness as a, as a human being. Yeah. Well, I, one more question about uh, company before we get back to the album. Um, I was thinking you were talking about the fact that whenever you all get back to performance, things aren't going to be the same for you because it's so much time. But I would imagine that your song in particular, uh, another hundred people would be, <laughs> it would feel quite a bit different. Have you thought about maybe how that song plays in a post quarantine world or has there actually been any talk about that? 
That, there's been no talk, but I mean, it's, it's undeniable that it, people are going to hear that lyric in a very different way yeah. when when they're back in a city. I think it's um it's a perhaps it's a bit more trepidatious and a bit more of a warning and a bit more um uh, hesitant of a lyric. Now, you know the the way though that I need to perform it with this character that um, I've crafted with the help of Marianne and Gina, our associate, and, and all of our creatives, is that this is um, he to use George Firth's words. He is the soul of New York. He is. He's like Puck in, in Midsummer Night's Dream. He, he, he just takes this energy from the ground of New York and shoots it back out and lives a life in constant wonder and in awe of this place. So that can't go anywhere. But I think there is some humor and some new colors that naturally are going to be added by the fact that when you say it's a city of strangers, that, that that has a new term now that's a little more trepidatious. So maybe I maybe I raise my shirt above my face at one point and say, and another hundred people just got off of the train. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. That means on the nose and, and too much of a gimmick. So we'll, we'll sort of see where we come. But undeniably, every song in, in this show, being, being alive, I can only imagine for Katrina, is going to be oh, a, a much yeah. more resonant song after this time so it's it's i, I cannot wait for us all to congregate in the theater and and relish in this show that it, that is a celebration of new york it's a, i think yeah. it's a show that new york really needs right now yeah well uh, to turn back um to the album before we we finish up here I, first off i love the idea of bonus tracks um and stuff like that i i don't really know uh where that comes from but I didn't really know. I obviously I didn't know the song that you consider your bonus track, Alice. Um, and then I was reading the liner notes and found out what that song was and where that came from. Um, and that is just, I, I, like I said, not a performer, but I have to imagine as a performer to get to perform really, I think in release for the first time, um, an unpublished Alan Menken song, uh, has to be yeah. an, an incredible honor. Oh my God. It was a, it was a pinch me moment. I couldn't believe it. I, you know, when I finished Bronx Tale, I, I just, it, 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 it a ballsy move. I, I can't believe I sort of did at the time. I just wrote Alan saying, hi, I, I have this concert that I toured the country with. I want to do some, at the time, I just wanted to do a, a, a Mink and Medley and maybe pair a Bronx Tale song with Beauty and the Beast, which was my yeah, first yeah. Broadway musical I ever saw. And just say, do I have your permission to do this? And I'd love, I had watched an interview he did with Kristen Anderson Lopez uh, in his home where he sang a song called 13th Street, which was this old song. I think probably even back in the 70s, he wrote for his wife. And I said, that's I can't find the sheet music anywhere, but it's beautiful. Do you mind sending it to me or, or some other um, song that is not really well known out in the world? And within a couple hours, I have an email from this man with multiple songs that are from his trunk. They're not published. And he says, what about what about this? What about this? Does this work for you? I, I couldn't believe the generosity of spirit of, of of this childhood hero of mine, who's who's the soundtrack of how I grew yeah. up, and so to um, have his permission to to I guess be the person that that reintroduces it. There's a great demo of him doing it. I think back in the '90s, if you go on YouTube, but. Um, you know, it's it's from this. It's from the. He was trying to adapt the Honeymooners into a musical in the mid '70s. It's um, it's a Ralph Cramden song that he's singing about the moment he meets and falls in love with his wife Alice, that we all know very well. And it's a, it's a, it's a you hear it and you instantaneously go, oh, this is an Alan Menken yeah. uh, melody, uh, undeniably. 
I just couldn't believe my luck that I heard it and thought, wow, I get to I get to put this out in the world. And the reason to answer your roundabout question of why it's a bonus track is because James and I had made a single of that in the summer of last year already. Oh, so cool, cool, just cool. because it's been a it's been a fan favorite since we performed it live and since then we just put it on this on this album as a quote unquote bonus track since it's already been out in the world yeah, for a good, you know uh, how many months now nine months yeah well it's it's wonderful and and also one thing that we should probably mention is that Alan Macon wrote the music and lyrics for it which is that's right not something that we hear too much of uh, in his work he always seems to have uh, a lyricist collaborator so this is a, a truly right. truly special He's a- thing. He's a he's a fantastic lyricist. Again, that's what drew me to it. Not only the the, the iconic and immediately noticeable melody, but his ability as a, a storyteller really um, uh, blew me away. That's wonderful. Well, um, to to wrap it all up, Bobby, and I appreciate all the time. Um, I have loved the title track from your album for a very long time. I have a very old demo of Edges. Um, that included a different version of this song. Actually, some of the verses were different. Um, but I, yeah. know, I know the the cabaret show that you um, had originally started this album as "Blame It on My Youth" has now morphed into "Along the Way," which makes uh, really good sense in terms of the journey. But why this song? Why why did you say yes? "Along the Way" is a great title for what you're talking about—the journey of going through life. But why is that song the one that you chose to be the title song on your album? Um, just because it, it, in a, similar to what we were saying in a, in a not, in a not so fictional way, it's, uh, it, it's very relevant. And I have a, a very uh, keen moment in my young adult life after I graduated college where I was faced with the sort of, um, moment of being in love with a woman who wanted to have children and me not feeling ready or being at a time in my life where I wanted to um, uh, go down that path, even though I could acknowledge that if I wanted to have children, it would be with this woman standing in front of me asking to do it. And that, and, and the, what's so brilliant about the song is that I, I, I guess, I, I guess I've given it away for people who haven't heard the song. Yeah, spoiler you alert. never see that turn. You never see that turn coming. It is so jaunty and rambunctious and so um, self-deprecating in its humor uh, and these anecdotes the character is giving about just the ridiculous mistakes he's made throughout his his adolescent life um, and how that ultimately is tied into his fear of having the ultimate responsibility of of being in service of a child not just himself or even a, a loved one and um it seemed like um, it seemed like a fant- it's a, it's it's one of the great story songs that um, I've ever come across, and I think it's one of the great story songs Pascal and Paul have ever written. So I think that's what really attracted me to it. And a base level, you know, I think along the way is a great title, but it was also because I'll turn 28 this this summer, and so I think maybe in a, an album blame it on my youth. I'm sort of running out of time to be able to call it that. <laughs> that's still and young. I think that's still youthful. A, that's a sort of that's a sort of simplistic um, yeah, yeah, yeah. title for an album. I think it, I think it it, um, it evokes much more emotion, and along the way seems to along the way is sort of the, the jumping off point of this specific story we're telling of this man searching for love and connection um, as he as he sort of leaps into the real world versus blame it on my youth paired with nature boy is sort of the thesis statement for the album of saying before i before i uh, tell you about these uh, missteps and uh, mistakes that i've made throughout my life 
let me preface them by saying, I apologize, I'm aware, and please don't blame it on my heart, blame it on my youth. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, the album's fantastic. Um, I've been listening to it for the past few days. It's it's really great. I appreciate so I, it. I encourage everyone to, uh, to, to go out and get it. And uh, Bobby, stay, stay safe out in Montana, and um, we will be hoping for your return and for company's return and obviously also thinking of of nick and his family as well so stay safe I, thank I you for the time it, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you stay again safe soon. in florida thank you so much yes much much love all right bye-bye thank you